0: It's, it's more sort of the, the language of ordinary observation. Um, and the, this, the scientific description isn't contrary to ordinary observation, it's, um, but you use the ordinary observation in order to talk about the thing and then to move on to something else because your main purpose isn't the details of how the thing works.
1: Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything.
2: Real quick before we begin this episode, listen to the end for updates on our Santa Ana Reformed Church Plant efforts and our upcoming Bible study on the Book of Judges.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast. My name is Nick. I'm here with Peter. And as I've said in other episodes for Season 2, we have a very special guest we're going to introduce here in a few uh, seconds. As a reminder uh, of what we're doing in Season 2, is we're actually interviewing top theologians, pastors, on topics they have extensive research and knowledge based on the Reformed Church. Um, Today's topic is science and the Bible, a very important topic. Um, Another note, uh, we are now a part of the Society of Reformed Podcasters, so uh, go ahead and check out our show notes. Find the link there for other great Reformed podcasts out there. Uh, Peter, could you go ahead and introduce our guest today? Yeah, gladly. We have Dr. C.
2: John Collins, and I think he's um, sometimes known as Jack Collins as well. He's a professor of Old Testament at Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, where he's been teaching for the past 27 or so years. He's a pastor in Washington before that, so Nick and him have a little bit of a connection there. But we are excited to talk to him about uh, science in the Bible and some of his books that he's come out with on Adam and Eve and the creation account, which is um, huge for Christians and non-Christians alike, understanding how do science in the Bible interact.
1: So thank you for coming on the podcast, Dr. Collins.
0: It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, thank you. This is, personally speaking, uh, an exciting topic for me. Um, I... I love science. Obviously I'm Christian as well. I work in science. I'm uh, in the medical industry. Hmm. Um, So I've always been driven and interested in science, but uh, also uh, as a Christian read the Bible and um, just, I'd love to hear how this fits together. Um, So yeah, this, this is a very personally exciting topic for me. And as As we talked about before we started recording, you you were in Spokane, Washington for a number of years, and I grew up in that area as well.
0: So uh, we're getting reacquainted then.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So uh, first question, I'm just going to jump right in. Uh, What is the relationship between the Bible and scientific study? Are they speaking on the same thing, opposed to each other, or is there a different relationship entirely?
0: right well um that that of course is a very large question and um it kind of depends on how patient you are for how big of an answer you want and how full of an answer <laughs> you want to that question
2: yeah we're um, patient because,
0: uh, good good uh because you know one of the one of the challenges in answering a question like that is just definition of terms um i mean we know what the bible is uh but um when we talk about our activity as Bible readers or as Bible listeners, as worshipers gathered to listen to the Bible, read to us and expounded to us in in a public service uh, and so forth. Uh, The Bible serves to to tell us the true story of the world. Uh, The Bible is there to um, situate us in the world, um, in the world that God made to situate us as members of the people that God has called, through whom he wishes to bless the rest of the world. Um, and and it, uh, the Bible teaches us then how to be um, responsible and authentic participants in God's program, you know, with the proper response to God, proper relationship to one another, proper relationship to those who aren't yet members of God's people, proper relationship to God's world so um what what but what we have to appreciate is that when we are expounding the bible or listening to it being expounded um, we have uh, a a process of interpretation going on um and so we aim to do interpretation well uh we and if, if we're good people, we want to expose our interpretation and the steps that we take in the interpretation, we want to expose that to public view. That is to say, I mean, I mean, if, if you're a sensible person, of course, you'd take my word for things if I told you, and, and that should be good enough for anybody who considers himself a well-functioning human being. However, um, really, for me to show respect to you uh, I, I need to show you my work. How do I get to the conclusions that, that I come to, uh, so that you can see that they're warrantable or not warrantable, uh, um, and so forth? So, so there's a process of interpretation and of critical interaction. Well, um, the part part of the relationship to others and to the world that that the Bible establishes us with is that uh, human beings were Made by God to form communities in which ruling the world was was an actual possibility, and part of ruling the world means understanding it, and so then you get the beginning of of what can be called science. Um, what we know as science in the Western world, or in the developed world, uh, I, I should say, rather than use a geographical term, um, is, I mean, that that's at the end of a long strain, uh, a long uh, train of changes and developments and so forth, so that um, you have things that from within the context of the ancient world, they would count as science, like the Babylonians were really good at keeping records of the stars and of the planets and so forth. We might call that more bookkeeping than science, but they were really good at it, and to them it was science. And so when Daniel and his friends were uh, to be given a course in the language and literature of the Chaldeans, they, they were being given a scientific education because they were going to be, they were going to need to use the this knowledge in order to interpret present events, um, and uh, in some cases to tell the future, in some cases to interpret dreams and so forth. To the Babylonians, that, that was a science, that was a rigorous and careful study of the world around them with the proper sources, some of the sources provided by the deities, um, and And using their their critical faculties. Um, uh, A a farmer knows how to do a lot of stuff, um, and so the ancient Israelites were very, very capable at farming the land that they were given. They probably didn't have much in the way of exploration of, so why do things work this way? I mean, you just, that the, the exploration into the why is that that requires leisure time. I'm actually going somewhere with this. So um, you you have, once um, you, you need the social conditions in which people have enough leisure time and sponsorship to develop the kinds of things that, that we think of as the sciences, where people can give free reign to their curiosity. Why do things work this way? Um, and so uh, you have uh, ancient figures like Aristotle, um, uh, who is sort of the headwaters of of every natural history uh, program that, that you've ever watched. Everything from the National Geographic that you've ever watched is inspired by Aristotle, somebody observing creatures in their natural environment and, and so on. Um, and so that's that's the origin of what we think of as sciences, but it's it's a development of actual human behavior that's oriented towards ruling the world, which is a part of the creational commission. So Christians are not surprised that um, that people who aren't Christians find out lots of things about the world, and we respect them, um, and uh, we don't worry about whether they're true or not because usually they are. It, however. When they try to integrate those things into the story of what it means to be human, that's, that's where you can get in, into some difficulties and potential conflicts. So if, if the sciences are simply the study of the world around us and, and uh, answering the curiosity questions, why do these things work the way that they do? The, they're, they're the proper expression of the nature of human beings as God made them. Unfortunately, there is more to human beings than the way that God made them. There is the fall of our first parents in Genesis 3. So so people can use a good thing, namely the sciences for uh, not beneficial purposes, for purposes that, that are actually harmful, uh, whether they're using those things to do harm to other people, to destroy the faith of other people and so forth. But these are the uses of a good thing and a valid thing uh, that that are that are distorted because of human sinfulness they they don't that they don't reflect badly on the thing itself so uh, and that—that's all background. Is saying so. The sciences, from a biblical perspective, are a commendable human activity, uh, and the sort of thing that that Christians ought to be glad exist and ought to be participants in. And we ought, at the same time, to recognize that people can use the sciences for uh, purposes that that are harmful and fundamentally invalid. And so, and, and so, you can get especially the place for potential conflicts would be when they want to tell the story of of what it means to be human or where did the world come from basically when they want to tell a story with the sciences i i started by saying the bible gives us the true story of the world and if people are using the sciences to propose an alternative story they're misusing the sciences and and that's that's where the difficulties come in
1: and The subject
0: of science,
1: I think, immediately enters the picture as soon as we open up the Bible and start in Genesis one. I mean, the the whole creation account, um, and there's a lot of questions, conjecture, uh, speculation that we've been people have been talking about for hundreds of years about that. Um, so this this that kind of tees up this next question: How can science inform the Christian's approach to the creation account, which is both the age of the universe and the historicity of Adam and Eve.
0: Right. Sure. Um, well, so, you know, the, the, the basic principle, I'll just start with the basic principle and then get into some details, is that um, since science is a good thing, uh, we, we ought to use it for the purposes that it's good at and not to use it for the purposes that it's not good for and so the sciences do not of themselves construct the story of why we're here and what it means to be human. Uh, It it takes a human interpreter to do that, Um, and so we're back to the interpretation issue again. Just as we have interpretation with the Bible, we have interpretation with the sciences. Um, We sometimes hear people say the data speak for themselves. No, they don't. Uh, the, the, The data feed an interpreter and and we have and the interpreter owes it to us to show us his or her work Um, and so uh that that's fundamentally you know the the stance that that i take and and that i think the bible would advocate Um, and so it it is certainly the case that, that people have interpreted the bible uh, as a way of, as especially the early chapters of Genesis, as giving us a form of ancient science. Uh, interestingly enough, um, in, the, um, in the first century, uh, we have a Jewish writer, Josephus, who is correlating the story in Genesis with what was considered the best science of his day, and so he interprets the firmament, or the expanse, as a crystalline a sphere around the earth um, uh, be, because there was a an important greek philosopher who had used the same term to describe the this the sphere that that is the heavens uh and um so uh, m- making a correlation between genesis and the science of the day uh, didn't work um and so then then you get the encrustation of the the notion that somehow the bible teaches a an earth-centered universe everything revolves around the earth and the earth is stationary and so forth um and uh that that gets that gets to be a harding position the whole idea is the sciences had said that and somebody wanting to commend the bible said oh hey guess what the bible taught that before you scientists did Um, and so there's there's a great danger in doing that Um, and so that the the first word is is one of caution. Uh, As the science has developed people began to appreciate that um, you can have better models for well what what they call the universe, what we would call the solar system or the galaxy. Um, You can have better models with with moving earth and and the sun not at the center but and actually the focus of an ellipse and so forth. I mean you, you, you can get as complicated as you like. Um, And so that's a pushback against an interpretation of the Bible. Um, It wasn't that the Bible taught that the earth was fixed and the center, it's that people interpreted the Bible as teaching that. Uh, And and it sends you back to re-examine. It turns out that there are three passages in the Psalms that that talk about the earth being firmly established and never being moved. uh, psalm 93 psalm 96 and psalm 104 um and uh so you know the and though those verses came in, into the fore in the whole controversy with galileo and copernicus and so forth it turns out um that it wasn't till long after that that anybody actually went through the hebrew bible uh, as i have done I, i've only found one other person who's done this now i'm not saying nobody else has done this but one guy in the late 19th century did this and wrote about it Namely, looked at the number of things in the Psalms that are said never to be moved. Uh, And that includes the soul, Zion, uh, and um, a person's feet and so forth. And it becomes, you come to realize that not being moved uh, is some general term for stability. And then you figure out in the context which kind of stability you're talking about. And you realize, okay, so physical immobility was never the purpose of those texts. So the pushback from the sciences was really helpful. Uh, It made us go back and and revisit the interpretation. Um, Other kinds of pushback, say from the neurological sciences that that might lead us to discount the uniqueness of human beings, that uh, what you call love is nothing but um, the interaction of, of molecules in your brain. That that's a pushback that, that we would actually push back against that pushback because uh, we, we would say, you're the ones uh, in the neurological sciences who have been reasoning incorrectly. So so basically what, what happens is you have these two schemes of interpretation that have the opportunity to push back against each other. Uh, and you don't know ahead of time which pushback is is going to uh uh, to be successful but but the basic idea of the data of the sciences and the data of the bible they're they're not wrong it's it's the interpretive schemes that that uh, interact with one another so now now we come to the question of the age of the earth did the bible does the bible teach a particular view of the age of the earth Uh, i would argue that the answer to that is no uh, of course, there are many who, who think otherwise, um, and I would say that these are exegetical questions um, and, and ultimately literary questions. What kind of thing is the material that we have in the early chapters of Genesis and then in the genealogies of Genesis 5 and, and so forth? Uh, and so I would make the argument that those are not there to give us a timeline. You don't need a timeline to have the true story. Uh, would would be my response uh, to the insistence on a what you might call a more literalistic reading of of the material in Genesis. That that can lead to then a happy result, namely the standard model of the Big Bang in cosmology looks a lot like creation from nothing, and so what what that tells us is that the modern science of cosmology can be framed in such a way as not to be a problem for, for biblical believers. Um, but before people thought about the Big Bang, they still believed the Bible and they were still right to do so. So that uh, just because we can find an apparent agreement between the Big Bang and creation from nothing doesn't mean that therefore Christians are obligated to endorse the notion of the Big Bang. It's just that we can be happy with it. And say, look, that's not a problem for the Bible. Let's move on and talk about more important things. Yeah, that was
2: that was huge when I when I read your book. Um, Did Adam and Eve really exist? And then going through some other stuff, the four views of the historical Adam and Eve, um, and reading through the Hebrew text and reading through the English text, and and seeing whatever like the historical markers of how science has kind of progressed, um, how. We today will read our current scientific projections on the text from 3,500 years ago or whenever it was written, versus mm-hmm. thinking, no, what were their questions that they were asking in 1500 to, our, to 1200 BC, whatever it may have been. Um, just like we were just saying with, with Jerome and putting on his current scientific model on it um, and not having the Bible say something different than science, but saying, okay, these are two perspectives speaking on something that our interpretation is the one that we need to be careful of, not the data that we're looking at. That was really helpful for me. Um, and not seeing the Bible as a scientific textbook where it's telling us scientific things because its its main question is not a scientific question. It's it's who is, who is the one who created us? What is our purpose? Where are we pointed towards? That was really, really helpful for me. And I, I hope that's helpful for other people listening too. Right
0: and and i think w- we should appreciate that <clears throat> we we don't need the uh, we, uh, we we don't need a neurobiologist to to uh um, confirm for us what we all know by daily experience namely that that there's something about human consciousness that is that that is more than than simply the the material side of it um, and that there's something about humans that distinguishes us from the other animals Um, and um, so we we didn't need the sciences to confirm that it's nice when they do and and i don't mean in any way to to relativize the importance of of the neurobiologist but but our belief in the bible is not uh something that we're waiting for the scientists to confirm our rightness to do so because the bible's addressing things that are accessible to everybody in terms of our daily experience. We know, uh, I I know that I'm a self. I know that you're a self and that we're we're interconnected. I know that there are rules that that we ought to observe, namely truth telling and and reliability and so forth. Um, And I mean, my dog is a self in a way, but he's a self in a very different way than than I am. Um, And so, you know, so that 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 I'm ready to to have explained to me. Yeah, I'm in. I'm made according to the image of God, and I have a responsibility to the dog that the dog doesn't have to me. That it's it's not a fully symmetrical relationship, and so um, the it's it, it's just uh, um, it's we we didn't need to wait for the sciences to confirm uh, the things that we that that we know by daily experience. And the Bible is there to operate on those things that we know in our ordinary and daily experience. And then, of course, it supplements those with the, the narrative, the, the great historical events of the creation, the fall, the exodus from Egypt, and the resurrection of Jesus.
1: Yeah, and that's so much good information. And um, before I go down a big rabbit hole before my next question. Something I did want to just briefly bring up to see if you had any uh, good nuggets of response would be the huge debate on um, evolution tied to Adam and Eve and right. um, which directly affects uh, the fall yeah. and how that relates to us and original sin. Mm-hmm. Um we, we, Peter and I spoke about this in the in our in, uh, fall episode back in season one. But just kind of throwing that out there, Adam and Eve, the debate on evolution, how that regards to our original sin in the fall. Do you have any quick remarks on that before I go to the next question?
0: Sure. And and there, what what you have to do is is figure out okay, what 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 is my scale of intensity with with which I'm going to hold on to certain things. Um, so so for some people everything is held at the same intensity namely uh, humans have no genetic relationship to other animals humans have adam and eve as the actual couple through from whom we all descend with no genetic ancestors and so forth and and, you know go on down the line so that's so everything's held for them at at the same intensity um and i i respect that um but but i think that more care I, i think at least from my analysis, I, I, I won't be presumptuous and call it more careful because somebody would say that it's that it's you know more shilly-shally, and so so, so I'll 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 leave it to others to characterize it the way they wish. But in my analysis, uh, front and center are things like the unity of the human race um, and the original goodness or innocence. Uh, I, I want to say in, innocence or goodness rather than perfection. That, you know we can get into all the reasons for that, but and, and then and then the fallenness of the of the human race. Um, and, and then I'd add to that the obvious distinctiveness of what it means to be human as over against other animals. Um, and that that <clears throat> which leads to then the notion that the origin of humans uh, cannot be the result of a strictly natural process. However, we describe the process scientifically. Um, the the material elements need help from outside. W- uh, whether we're using the biblical picture of God forming the man using dust from the earth, and so on, the dust from the earth didn't form itself; it it got help. Um, and uh, and even even if we think of that as the forming from dust of the earth as involving a lot of of biological steps, just like Psalm 103 says that you and I are formed from the dust. Even though there's quite a few biological steps between our origin and the origin of our first parents, we're still formed out of dust. So uh, you know, e- even if you want to, e- even if you want to say that, which would be, you know, what in the 19th century was called evolution. Um, the, the word evolution can mean a lot of different things. That, that's actually part of the difficulty uh, is just what do we mean by that? If all we mean is descent with modification and we leave out of the, out of, out of the definition where those modifications came from and whether they have a purpose, um, then, then that's, that's less important than, than the idea that, that humans came as a result of extra help, whatever, you know, whatever their material components are, there's extra help from outside, but also that that extra help resulted in the first humanity that was morally innocent and that has then fallen, and we are heirs of that first humanity. So, um, and so I, I would put those much, much higher than the question of whether there is a descent with modification process. Um, and uh, that that results in the first humans. And that's a different question, or at least a separable question from whether there's a descent with modification process for the other animals. Um, And so I I don't mind using the word evolution, um, but for many people, the word evolution means a purely natural process that leaves God out of the picture from beginning right the way through to the end. And if that's what you mean by that, well, then that's not what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, that's great clarification. Thank you. I thought that was a very important thing to um, discuss on this on this topic. Uh, right. It's huge. Um, can science speak to the miracles in the Bible?
0: Well, it, it can and it can't. Um, so um, uh, mi- miracles are, again, we have to have definitions. Um so my my patron saint is Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride, and especially when he says, "You keep on using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means." <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, and so, so clarity of definition uh, is is really important. Um, and so, uh, for some people, a miracle is um, you know uh, got a good grade on a paper and they have no idea how it happened. Uh, that must be a miracle. Um, I, I'm in the midst of grading papers right now, so that's on my mind, Uh, or somebody recovers from some dreadful disease and the medical people have no idea how it happened. So they say, well, guess it's a miracle. Um, And so it it, then miracle is simply a way of saying, I don't know how it happened. Um, And the sciences might eventually, I mean, in principle, uh, uncover ways in which something like that could have happened. So we learn things about the way that proteins in a cell interact and, and so forth. And, and we know more about, yeah, okay, so we thought that, that uh, this particular disease would go that way, but this unusual combination of these proteins and uh, other factors just led in a different way. Um, and so now we know. And so if that's what we meant by a miracle, then of course science has the potential of undoing the miraculous. But, but I think a better a better notion of the miraculous, uh, and one that more fits with the Bible, is where the outcome uh, goes beyond what the components would themselves have produced. Um, and so, uh, I mean, and that relates to, like, if you see a house, you know that the components of a house didn't assemble themselves, that, that there was an agent uh, who put those things together. And And so that that's an analogy for for what the biblical miracles are. That it, it would it should have been otherwise. So it should have been otherwise um, that that nothing stayed nothing. But then all of a sudden the uh, creation came into existence by the will of God. Uh, it should have been otherwise that the material components that that make up your body and mind uh, would not have you know they wouldn't have assembled themselves. So something has been imposed upon them. Um, It should have been otherwise that the water should have stayed water, but uh, lo and behold, it tastes like wine. Uh, And it should have been otherwise that the dead body of Jesus would stay dead. uh, And every dead body you've ever seen has stayed dead. It doesn't come to life unless something from outside that web of cause and effect has, has gone beyond the natural properties, so, and, that, and that's why the, the terminology supernatural, going beyond the natural properties, comes into play there, so um, that, that being the case, what the sciences can do is help us to appreciate that, yes, a genuine miracle has really happened, so, for example, a woman a human woman does not give birth to a human baby, particularly a male baby, uh, unless uh, there has been, uh, uh, unless the male contribution has been introduced into her body. Um, and so when you have the special conception of the Lord Jesus and the production of a male, the natural conclusion is the one that Joseph drew. Hey, I know I didn't do it, but some some other guy must have. Um, and the, and he gets an angel explaining no actually the the uh, you there there was a third option joseph that that you didn't consider so uh so joseph got a course in logic from the angel um the the uh, um he he'd uh, gone with with a, just the just a binary antithesis and and realized that that there were more possibilities uh and likewise uh dead bodies uh, don't rise unless you have divine uh energy that that uh, raises the body of Jesus, not, not simply raises, but even glorifies the body of Jesus. So, so the sciences can help us to appreciate, yeah, that's not going to happen unless uh, energy from outside comes into the picture. The sciences won't tell us whether the energy from outside might come into the picture. That's not, you know, um, as C.S. Lewis famously said, you can observe billiard balls on a table all you like, but that's, that is never going to tell you whether somebody is going to snatch up a, a pool cue and, and give one of the balls a little biff on the side and and change its course. So so the sciences can't rule out the possibility of, call it interference or injection. Um, and and um, the, the sciences presuppose the regularity of the properties, but that's not that's not excluding the possibility that an agent might inject something new
2: that's really helpful i think i've i've heard too often that science disproves miracles versus what you're saying is no science sets up the categories for us to understand a miracle has occurred
0: yeah 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 it's so so our our best bet there is make is making sure that that we're not being sloppy in our terminology make make sure we know what we mean by a miracle and then what the science can and can't do. Um, it was Dirty Harry who pointed out that a good man knows his limitations and a good, science, uh, a good scientist knows his or her limitations as well. And, and to say that it's limited is, is not a way of, of, of trying to put it in its place. It's just saying that it does what it does and its excellence is a certain kind of excellence, but that doesn't mean that it's an excellence in other areas.
2: Yeah, and it's almost like uh, if science, or I mean us by extension too, if we put an explanation beyond what's observable, at least on a scientific perspective, that's kind of getting to metaphysics and it's something that they're not capable of doing with um, observable facts, which I think like what you said, uh, an honest scientist would say, no, this is is my job is to make observable um, facts. But the same thing for Christians uh, as us as well as, I guess, not us spewing miracle language all over the place. Right. And saying that's a miracle, that's a miracle, that's a miracle. But being right. partners and saying, no, we want to use the best of science and also the best of what we understand of the universe too.
0: Right, right. And so, I mean, it's it's the um, uh, the, the character in, um, uh, in uh, the Jeff Goldblum character in Jurassic Park when he says you scientists spent all this time talking about whether you could do it and never got to whether you should do it and whether you should do it Uh, is not the special domain of the, of the biological specialists. Uh, A lot of other people have a say in whether you should do it, Um, and so the scientists are not privileged, um, uh, uh, privileged pontificators in whether they should do it. Um, They are privileged pontificators in whether you can do it, Um, and so it's it's just a you know once once you move beyond their area of expertise, then they're in the same domain, uh, the same obligations of critical thinking as everybody else shares.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great reminder to clarify that God, as the creator of existence, the creator of science, is superior to science, and science really is dependent on. God. So if God wants to do something um, outside of science or something science can't explain because it's never happened before, then he by all means can do it because he created science in the first place.
0: <laughs> right. So that's it's, good. it's the same as as where does the 900 pound gorilla sit? He's anywhere he wants. Um, and so what does God do with his creation and anything he likes? And, and we have reassurance as Christians. That uh, that other that other people don't have. We have the assurance that God is not capricious in in what He does with His creation. That that He actually cares for. It. He loves it, um, and and He wants us to be benevolent and wise stewards of what He made, so that His uh, interferences, if if you want to call them that, are. I mean, that's. I'm using that word with with iron, ironic it's intent rather than literalistic intent um are are oriented towards improving the way in which humans will relate to God so that they can relate better to one another and to uh, the world that God made
1: yeah that's wonderful I love it how would you encourage believing scientists struggling with their faith in their workplace
0: yeah well uh, that that's an excellent question and um and, and i 've uh, first of all, I'll start by saying I've, I've been in their shoes. Um, my my first life uh, was as uh, a graduate of MIT with um, undergraduate and graduate degree, and I worked as a, a systems engineer in a in a high tech consulting firm in the Boston area back in the late 1970s. Um, and so, um, I, so I'm I'm familiar with, with some of the challenges. Uh, first of all, um, the the basic challenge is the same with everybody, um, na- namely that that the the people around us might not be fully supportive of our faith. Uh, and so we have to decide how we relate to those around us, how we relate to the issues of peer pressure and so forth. Um, and in some quarters, you know the peer pressure is, all the smart people think this way. Therefore, that's the way you should think. Uh, and most of us aren't really oriented towards being, you know, cross-grained individuals who wanna be different from everybody else just for the sake of being different. And so so part of our faithfulness involves just knowing that that's, that's there in the mix. Um, and um, secondly, and related to that is our, our calling is to love our neighbor as ourself. And that means loving our fellow workers. Um, of course, that means wanting them to come to faith, but it also means um, seeking to be gracious in the way that we interact with them, um, respecting their opinions, their right to hold their opinions, asking them to respect us um, and and so forth. So to have genuine conversations and then, thirdly, to seek to do our work really well um, uh, that that um, I mean, being a Christian does not entitle me to do shoddy work. Um, I, 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 I I wish I had thought more about that when I was an engineering professional. I especially got that from my doctoral advisor who was uh, who was who still is a a very, very accomplished a seriologist, a student of ancient Mesopotamia, the language, the literature, the history, and so forth. And he's highly regarded in, in his field. And and his diligence in his work, his carefulness in his work, is an expression of his Christian commitment. And to him that's that's a part of his testimony to the world. Um, and so even when people don't follow his Christian views, they hold him in high regard. Um, and then then next that that would be um various scientists who have been outstanding christians and and we can learn about them uh, and appreciate uh their strengths and their weaknesses i apologize my dog is barking furiously he's uh, protecting us against some some probably the postman or something like that um and uh so so for example um the current head of the uh, National Institutes of Health is Francis Collins, uh, who is uh, a very vocal professing Christian. There are areas in which I don't agree with him and don't find that his discussions are fully satisfactory. But here's a guy who tries to to serve the Lord by serving the the health professionals, um, and um, I mean he's he's uh, worked very hard in in this current pandemic. I've, I've watched a few uh, interviews with him and and so it was right for a guy like that to receive an award from the Templeton Foundation um, and there's a video uh, of the award that uh, of the award ceremony that that I would commend to every scientist um, and it, it's it's very very moving and very heartening to see somebody prominent like that. Well we're not all going to be like that but it's just good to know that we have people like that who are basically on our side and so it isn't true, then, that that being a an accomplished scientist means abandoning your faith. Um, and then, of course, there are there will be ethical issues that that we have to face. Um, do I work with aborted fetal tissue, and, and so forth? And so, um, you know, part part of what we must do is is to be true to our Christian profession. Um, You know, it it would would have been impossible to be a faithful Christian doctor in the Third Reich and agree to do these experiments on the Jews in the concentration camps. Um, And, you know, and if that means you take your place with the Jews as a prisoner, then that's what you have to do. You'd hope that it wouldn't have to come to that. Um, And it mostly won't come to that in our culture. But, you know, uh, we have to be willing to take a stand when it's necessary. And then there are various apologetic resources. Um, if, if you're convinced that you should be a young earth creationist, then there are good apologetic resources, say associated with Paul Nelson of the um, Discovery Institute. But, but uh, there are other apologetic resources if, if you're not tied to that, you say coming from groups like Reasons to Believe or BioLogos, which is more evolutionary than than I would actually agree with. Um, so, so you you would find that there are resources, and there, are, you know, there are fellowships to be a part of. There's the associ- the affiliation of, of uh, uh, American Scientific Affiliation, um, which which is broadly Christian. Um, there, there is one that that's called the Christian Scientific Society, that is a little bit more nuanced in in their views of evolution and, and so forth. Uh, and I, I've spoken for both, um, so I, I've had my feet in both camps. Um, I hope that doesn't make me duplicitous, but uh, somebody else will decide that. Um, and and so you know, fellowship with like-minded with like-minded people, and to recognize that um, in our, our our faith does apply to the whole of our lives. It's it's not just about getting our soul saved. It has to do with the whole of our lives because the God who saved us is the god who made the world and i think that's the way we proceed i um in my my i guess it was my second book science and faith i I give four motivations for christians practicing the sciences Uh, one of them is to be able to answer unbelief to show that the the scientific popularizers who undermine our faith are really misusing science rather than using it well but also to recognize that we are free to enjoy the God, the, the world that God made and to answer questions raised by our curiosity, as long as we're not getting curious about sordid or evil things. Um, just, uh, to, to say that that's a good thing. Or in the medical professions, of course, you, you sort of have a sense that you are serving humanity. Um, and, 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 and I, and I hope that everybody in the medical professions feels the gratitude of, of, at least the Christian public, I wish it were the whole public, but the Christian public for all the sacrifices they've made over the course of the past year. Um, and, you know, so, uh, you know, way to go. But, you know, just just in our, in um, marveling at, at the intricacy of the world that God made is that's, that too is an act of Christian piety.
2: Yeah, thanks for answering that. We 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 felt that not that they were denigrated Christian scientists were denigrated, but just that they're not spoken to very often, um especially in today's climate and I think in in like an inferential or kind of backhanded way, they're kind of spoken against in a lot yeah. of churches they don't I don't think that they know that they're doing it um, right. but when they speak about Bible and explicitly scientific terms yeah. and try to take away other things I, I think it's it's alienating for a lot of scientists who go to church and who want to learn of the God of the Bible, but feel like their profession is not accepted at the place that they go to, even though there's nothing inherently wrong with their profession.
0: So, you know, it, um, in, in a, a very divided and politicized world, uh, we hear a lot of politicians saying, we follow the science. Um, and uh, no, they don't. They're, they're listening to certain scientists and they're being very selective as to what they listen to. I mean, you know, they're, they're they're following certain scientists in their views, say of of how they should, you know, what kind of restrictions that they should impose upon people and so forth. But they're not going to listen to uh, research into uh, neonatology and and so forth and to change their position about abortion. You know, so they're being very selective. But we ought to recognize that that uh, in our churches, we do exactly the same thing. We say, we follow the Bible. No, we don't. We follow an interpretation of the Bible we, and we follow our treasured Bible expositors. And that, and just like we try to follow the scientific experts, that's a good thing, but, it, but it's, it has to be done critically. We follow our treasured Bible expositors, that's a good thing too, and it has to be done critically. And so wh- what I would say is, what we have to really develop is an environment in in which we are the the terminology i use i've used it already uh, this session is to show our work here's how i came to the conclusions that that i have and here's and then the persuasion here's why you should come to those conclusions and and the advantages you'll have by coming to those conclusions um and so you know that's the environment we want to create in our churches where we really welcome this kind of discussion
1: yeah that is so helpful i mean i know you're very humble but i think of you as a leader in this that you're an author a scientist a pastor a believer so i'd like to give you a lot of credit in this as well as leading the encouraging and inspiring other faithful christian scientists out there i really hope a lot of them hear this this episode
0: well, well, thank you very much. And, and, of course, I would immediately falsify your opinion if I agreed with it uh, that when you called me humble. Um, so, uh,
2: I'll, <laughs> Just like I'll Moses said, for, he's the humblest person in the land.
0: Pretty much. I'll leave that for you to decide, but but uh, <laughs> I, I do appreciate the compliment, yes.
1: How should we view scientific texts in the Bible? Those that seem to agree with what we see in nature, what are authors trying to say? Um, Before you answer, I think one thing that was in my mind, I don't know if I'm off, but I know in the Bible it talks about, you know, even DNA and things like that, well before we were able to um, talk about it in science.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Well, so, I mean, the the first thing to recognize is is that the dominant way of, of talking about the world in the Bible is the way of ordinary conversation. I mean, just the way that you and I do. So um, you 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 could be the world's foremost astronomer, uh, Alan Sandage, who uh, recently passed away, or within you know within the last dozen or so years passed away, um, a Christian man, uh, and during his life was considered the one of the foremost observational astronomers in the world, uh, and and he could without compromising his scientific integrity talk about the time of sunrise and sunset because that's ordinary speech. Um, And you can talk about the four corners of the world without implying that the world is is like a square sheet uh, that is stretched out. Uh, So most of of what we have in the Bible is in the language of ordinary conversation. And that's, uh, and and if you required more than that um, in your household, uh, you you wouldn't get much relating done um, it, it, that would be a, you, you would swiftly lead to a dysfunctional household if, if you required everything to be at at a more detailed level of description than necessary for ordinary speech. Um, uh, if, if you're telling your wife that you love her, you don't really want to go into detail about what happens to the uh, capillaries in the back of your neck and and so forth. That's just not uh, that uh, that's, that that's a freebie from me. Don't do that. Um, and so uh, um, <clears throat> I, I think that's that's the place to start. And so it it's certainly satisfactory. Uh, you know, if we read in an ancient text that the barbarians attacked the city at sunrise, uh, we we don't think of the text as being untrue, um, and and that they and the battle continued until sunset. Uh, again, we don't we don't think of that as being untrue. We just we take it on its own terms, and that's the, that's that's what we need to do with the Bible. The Bible is isn't. Uh, some of my friends like to talk about the Bible as articulating ancient science, and I think they're quite mistaken there. Um, it, it's, it's, it's more sort of the, the language of ordinary observation. Um, and the, this the scientific description isn't contrary to ordinary observation. It's, um, but you use the ordinary observation in order to talk about the thing, and then to move on to something else, because your main purpose isn't the details of how the thing works. Um, and so, I think th- that's that's the main thing to think about. So, uh, is Genesis one when it talks about an expanse, talking about an actual solid surface that that you could have touched, had you been there and you know been able to get up high enough and poked your finger in it? Uh, or is it using a a more ordinary or even poetical description of what the sky looks like? Well, I think it's using a an ordinary or poetical description. and the reason, and you can tell that because you can uh, see that other Bible writers know full well that rain comes from the clouds, uh, and that um, the idea of windows or sluice gates that have to be opened in the sky is is a poetical, um, a, a poetical fancy, r- rather than a scientific assertion. So, uh, you know, you recognize that the Bible writers knew what it took to get along in the world in which they had to get along. They, they, to be a peasant, you have to know a lot. Uh, you got to know a lot about certain things, about dirt, about rain, about the seasons, about animals, about plants, and so forth, about pests, uh, and so forth, and just recognize that, okay, so they know a lot about the things that are, that are relevant to their daily lives, and the things that are outside of their daily lives, there's not a whole lot of time to reflect on those. They come back to, you know, the the creation of leisure time. The reason Aristotle could be a scientist uh, was because he was what he called a free person, free of the need to earn a living the way that everybody else did, um, and so that's that's something that, that comes later in the socio, sociological and economical development of, of human beings. So anyway, uh, just recognize that, that the Bible is, is coming into a world in which the vast majority of its recipients are not free in that sense. Um, and just let it speak to them and then our our goal as listeners to the Bible is to place ourselves as heirs to these original audiences so you know uh, Moses spoke to the uh, wrote the Pentateuch for the people who were going to follow Joshua across the Jordan River well that's not us but we're heirs of those actions that they took uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Galatia and he tell, and when he says you, he doesn't mean you guys or me. He's talking to them. But we are heirs of that particular incident uh, in, in the life of the church. And so, you know, that's so just recognizing that we're heirs, just like as Americans, we're heirs of European immigration. Uh, the Civil War, the Second World War, and so forth. We didn't fight it. Uh, um, none of us on this call looks like we're old enough to have participated in the Second World War. Um, but we're heirs of it. Um, and so by the same token, we're heirs of the events in the Bible. And that's that's the proper stance to take.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, i got one final question. And it's just to kind of prepare us to go out in the world and have some armor. Um, can you give a few scientific objections to the Bible and how we as believers can provide an apologetic to them? And one example maybe could be like the evolution of man and bone findings and things like
0: that. Right. Sure. So let's suppose, let, let's just suppose that, uh, um, that that there's that the interpretation placed on the bone findings has something to it. Okay, let's let's suppose that for the sake of argument, um, in legal terms, that that's called arguendo, for the sake of the argument. Um, and 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 Christians can do this. Um, what what can these things establish? Um, can they establish a family tree for human beings? Well, maybe, um, but uh, can it can it thereby produce the notion that to, pr- to get a human being, all you need is enough time. No, so that you still come back to, yeah, and you know that you're different. You know that your moral behavior is different uh, from um, from what goes on in the animal world. Um, you know that that friendship amongst human beings isn't the same thing, even when you see marvelous, uh, there was just a PBS program on the other day of, like a goat and a and a blind horse. Um, so you can call that friendship if you want, so long as you're willing to define friendship down uh, to suit that. Uh, but what you and I mean by friendship is something that's really different. Um, and so, I mean, you know that. Uh, and so uh, the the uh, the scientific tale, uh, it is first of all, it's, we have to recognize that that tale is constructed out of a pattern of inferences, which may or may not be good inferences. Um, usually in the, uh, the inferences are suiting something that you're looking for. I mean, that's just part of being human. You find it because you were looking for it. Um, and and I am I don't mean to say that it's untrue. I'm just saying, I'm just wanting people to know how they got to that conclusion but but getting to the conclusion that there is an ancestry involved in the development of human beings is not the same as knowing how you got to human beings and certainly it can't say that you got to human beings that without any outside help in fact everything within you is screaming out it had to be the product of outside help because and i just know that that's true of me um, in order to reason um, there, there was a Disney video, uh, you are a human animal, you are a very special breed for you are the only animal who can think, who can reason, who can read. Um, and um, it was true for the Disney cartoon makers and it's still true and it's never not been true, it's never going to be otherwise. Um, and so I, I think that that's, that, that we just come back to our regular ordinary experience. Um, should it be the case, say that the Big Bang theory is no longer popular amongst cosmologists? Does that mean that the universe generated itself? No, uh, the unit, uh, no, uh, uh, and, and no cosmologist, no serious cosmologist is really going to argue that unless he turns into a philosopher, in which case he's no longer speaking as a cosmologist, um, and and uh, so forth. And then the neuroscientists. I mean, the, these are some of the, the crucial areas. The neuroscientists. Will tell you that your mind is just the activity of your brain, um, and there are so many reasons why not to believe that. Um, because if your mind is is the activity of your brain, there's no reason to believe the deliverances of your mind. Then, um, as the the uh, one of the major figures in the development of neo-Darwinian evolutionary theory, uh, John B.S. Haldane even said that. If my mind is nothing but the activity of my brain, I have no reason to believe uh, the deliverances of my mind, including the deliverance that my mind is nothing but the activity of the chemicals in my brain. Um, and so the 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 neuroscientists, those neuroscientists who say those things, I mean, cause there's plenty of neuroscientists who are very well aware that the mind and the brain aren't exactly the same thing. Um, so I, I, I think if we come back to just good reasoning and remember that our ordinary everyday experience is is evidence that needs to be taken into account, I think I think we'll be in good shape and we need not fear the deliverances of the sciences. Yeah,
2: thank you. That was that was helpful kind of concretizing things and giving people a way of of thinking and giving them categories of how to think about this and how to interact in a in a winsome graceful kind of gracious way without kind of pounding the bible on somebody else and saying no you got to believe this it's no it's let's, let's reason through this stuff
1: yeah completely this is a amazingly deep conversation i love it i
0: love it well it's been very good to be with you guys and you you uh, are obviously very thoughtful fellows and i i pray god's blessing upon you and upon all those who will listen to your uh, to the various podcasts that you're doing
2: yeah, thank you very much for coming on, Dr. This is, this is huge. I'm hoping people listen to this and ask questions. I don't know if there's any resources that you can point them to. I mean, I would point them to some of the books that you've written.
0: Um, well, did that yes, exist?
2: Yeah, all that stuff.
0: Sure. Well, I've, I've been writing, um, and for better or for worse, I've been writing <laughs> on some of these subjects. Um, I started with a book about miracles called The God of Miracles. Then I wrote a general book called Science and Faith, Friends or Foes then i got into more of you know some of the problems with adam and eve mm-hmm. and and most recently i've written a book called reading genesis well navigating hmm. history poetry science and truth in genesis 1 through 11 and so uh, i've i've tried to uh, wrestle with with these questions and i hope i've been honest and i i hope yeah. that I, I hope that i've given people tools by which they can think well about these things
2: yeah we'll link that in the show notes if people want to Pick up some of those books and 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 learn and be pointed to other resources. We'll also link to your page on the Covenant Seminary website and um, Amazon website places to find your books. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on. It's cool. been a blessing, and I hope people learn a lot.
0: Great to be with you. Thank you. God bless. God bless you. Are you looking for a reformed church in the Orange
2: County Santa Ana area? We'll be starting our study through the Book of Judges, as well as diving into Reverend Danny Hyde's. Welcome to Reformed Church beginning weekly on December 2nd, which is a Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. If you'd like updates and information on joining our core group, email us at santaanareformed at gmail.com or head to either Guilt Grace Pod or Santa Anna URC on Twitter or find the link in the show notes to learn more.
1: Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes.
2: Yeah, and after you rate and review or instead of rate and review or... Doing everything all at once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face, this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are, are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more
1: people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing and, uh, after that after tithing if you have any means left over please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy as again we bridge the gap to reform christian (laughs) theology exactly yeah
2: and you guys can find that (laughs) link on anchor our official anchor website if you just go on um, our social media links it'll it'll link you to that website it's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes if you're on this podcast this specific episode scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating so we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap pay for shipping get nicer stuff all for the focus
1: of spreading the gospel further Yep. All for the kingdom of God. Thanks so much, guys. We'll see you guys
2: next time.